It's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode number 228, Top 10 Most Underrated SUVs. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining today to look at the SUVs that we think deserve more love than they're currently getting are Senior Editor Tim Nicholson. Hello. And our fearless leader, Editor Mel Flynn. Hi, everyone. Thank you, James. We'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and unearth the comment of the week. YouTubers, you can jump ahead to each section of the show via the time codes in the notes or chapter markers in the timeline. So let's go. This is really a game of automotive show and tell, which should be fun because each of us have identified three underrated SUVs, ones we believe are underrated anyway, and we don't know each other's nominees. Uh, what we do know is there are no double ups or overlaps because our news team is currently pulling together a story looking at this exact topic. And news editor Tung has been the impartial gatherer of ours and other content. So the plan is to take turns announcing a contender until all nine are on the table, then we'll have a special 10th uh, to round out the list. So I wanna start with you, Tim. Kick us off with your first low profile SUV that should have celebrity status. Look, JC, Mel, <clears throat> excuse me, as I choke when I start talking. <laughs> Um, uh, it's probably appropriate, actually, because you might think I'm going a little crazy when I say some of these things, but I stand by these decisions, I think. Um, I, I'm pretty confident. Look, the first one is an interesting one. We're starting right at the kind of entry level of the SUV segment. Um, in fact, this model is the most affordable SUV you can buy as a new vehicle in Australia, and that is the Suzuki Ignis. Wow. Okay, cool. I was I was wondering what kind of response they got in both of your faces. Like, I'm oh, okay. dying yeah, yeah. to hear how you follow yeah, this yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, let's see. Look, is it an SUV? Sort of. It's yes. you know, really, it's kind of a jacked up hatchback. But um, I think it's a really adorable design. I love Suzuki's kind of current generation, very Japanese micro light cars. I give I it more. Sorry, I give it more SUV cred than a Subaru XV. Well. Right. In that, you know, it's oh, it's fundamentally an SUV. That's, that's a whole like other a discussion, isn't impressive. it? What, what is an SUV these days? But yes, yeah, sorry. Totally. Sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a very, very good point. Um, look, it, it's such an affordable little car. It's just gone up in price, but it still starts just a tick under $20,000. Um, uh, that's for the manual. I don't think many people will be buying that manual, but it's the only SUV under $20,000 in Australia. And for a little city car that's incredibly economical, um, it, I, I just think it's really, really hard to beat. Um, you know, people can go and look at a light hatchback, a micro hatchback or anything like that. Um, I think this is a really good option, especially if you kind of want to stand out a bit. And I think the Ignis does that really, really well. Um, it doesn't have a, a, an ANCAP rating at all. It's unrated. Um, so I can't talk to the, the safety credentials of the car, but... Um, look, we can I, say it lacks a bit of active year. safety. Yeah, look, yeah. Well, it's a few years old now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, it's getting on a bit. But um, look, I drove it, I think, the year before last or last year, whenever the facelift came out. And it's just such a fun, zippy little car. Great. I, I'm a big fan of this car. Do, do you know what it, it makes me think? It's one of the few escapees from the J Japanese domestic market that, that's made it here. You know, it's representative of those very quirky, charismatic, individual little cars that we don't see. I love the look of it too. I'm with you. And full of design details that refer to a historic Suzuki model that 
No one's ever heard of. <laughs> That's right. My favorite kind of retro, <laughs> obscure retro. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that is a flying start. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Mel, the first cab off your <laughs> rank, please. Okay, I'm going to cheat, and I can feel you groaning already, James, but I'm going to nominate an entire brand's lineup of SUVs as underrated, and this will come as no surprises to reg- surprise to regular podcast listeners, but I'm going to say the three Peugeot SUVs. Oh, 2008, okay. 3008, 5008. Yep. Not an end in sight there, mind you. Yeah, well said, well said. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them are really good SUVs for their class, uh, dripping with design appeal inside and out specific design detail like the, you wouldn't mistaken them for any other brand even though i think all three of them um have citroen cousins within the, the that same is so true that's network. true that's you a good point you make not yep. confuse them with any of their citroen counterparts yep um only problems are they tend to be pretty dear um very few dealers relative to to other bigger brands uh and i don't think they're very well marketed Right. Um, but right. but like whenever we drive them, we just rave about them, don't we? Yeah. The the only sticking point I have with Peugeot currently is the eye cockpit. Um, and it's every time I get in one with the small steering wheel and the main instruments up above the rim of the wheel, um, maybe it's just the construction of my body, but I find it hard to get a comfortable position. And much in all is historically, a small steering wheel means sporty and racy and all that stuff for me. It's a bit too close to your lap and it's a bit too small and it's just not my thing. Oh, yeah, sorry, that, that does need to be mentioned and I completely agree, even though my torso length is seemingly perfect for it. I see. It's just the, mark that down. Mel has a perfect torso length. Torso for Peugeot we've, SUVs. We've always thought it. Uh, look, I, I'm with you though, Mel. I actually love the iCock pit and I'm, I'm a big fan of the Peugeot SUVs. And I was looking at VFAX the other day and I think the five... Is so five double eight? What do you call it? Five thousand eight. Sorry, and no is like the slowest selling SUV in its class, right. and I just think that's sad. Right, right. And because agree, you know, be we know that in other markets, particularly the domestic market, Peugeot is a titan. You know, in in the French market and and across Europe, um, into the UK as well. I mean, it's just such an enormous brand and. It's been here for so long, but it remains a tiddler. You know, it's it's yeah. really a, barely a blip. And part of that is because of the decades of lackluster offerings. You know, it's 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 kind of burnt lots of people. Mm. Uh, but like, it also represents an amazing recovery. Like, where have these come from? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. All right, now can I tip in my first uh, nominee, which is Ford Escape? Good one. That's now, a good one. you've good got one. you've got the base, you've got ST line, um, front wheel drive, you've got the Vignal, all wheel drive, petrol, and you look, a plug in hybrid, mm-hmm. 50 kilometer EV range. You've got a, a price band from roughly 36 to 50K. To me, it looks good. It's in a white hot market segment, mm-hmm. um, but it's almost like a well kept secret. You know, it's, it's one of those Ford models, a bit like Mondeo used to be. Great car, but no one knew about it because it was almost lurking in the shadows rather than being given prominence um, by the brand. Mm. Um, Great steering dynamics in general. The all-wheel drive is a bit more composed than the front-wheel drive, but lots of turbo torque, lots of safety. It's got a lot going for it. That two-litre petrol is a real point of difference and, you know, really responsive. It's like they've forgotten to, you know, calibrate the throttle response for the window sticker like everyone else and made it good. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, the, the sports car. The Puma, mm, so the Puma gets so much love in terms of profile within the Ford lineup. It's it's just almost like the forgotten child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's got a lot to offer. Plenty of space. More than 400 liters lead, uh, in the boot for a, for a relatively small uh, vehicle is pretty good. The sliding rear seat thing, um, so you can adjust rear seating and, and load space. Um, all kinds of storage. It's got Sync 3 for the, the multimedia um cap price servicing yeah so many reasons to buy but it just lots doesn't... of ford dealerships around for yep. support yep yeah i think though i do worry about ford's marketing because they focus so much on ranger and everest and then you have these brilliant cars like this and as you mentioned jc the puma yeah like focus on these cars and mm. I, I emphasize the word focus because that <laughs> no love from Ford and where is it now? And it's, I just, I'm so, it's so infuriating. Well, I suppose it's easy to be the marketing director when you're outside the company. Um, there's a finite number of dollars. And I suppose, do you play to your strength or do you try and, you know, bring up some of the weaker players? Um, and if, if you want to fish where the fish are, it's Ranger uh, at the moment and maybe a bit of Mustang and others thrown in, you know. And it would come down to what Detroit is, which string Detroit wants to pull, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, there's my Agreed. first one. Agreed. So we are back to you, Tim, uh, for your second, please. Well, this is uh, quite uh, interesting that Mel Flynn said this earlier because mine is the Citroen C4. Ah, good on you. Great. So, you know, this is another one. Is this an SUV? This car is the definition of a crossover because it's like a hatchback and a wagon and an SUV and a coupe all rolled into one. Okay. Um, you know, we've all, we've all seen the vehicle. It's a very unusual looking vehicle. Um, it's not even necessarily to my taste design wise, but at least it's different and yep. it gives, you know, that the Citroen buyers don't want to blend in like that. The previous C4 was so generic looking, mm. whereas this is like, what is that? Yeah. Um, I drove it recently and I drove it not long after the 2008, which I really, sorry, sorry, 2008. And, you know, those vehicles very closely related, 1.2 litre turbocharged engine in both of them. But the version of the 2008 that I drove had quite a firm ride. I think it was one of the higher grade ones. And this thing, because it's a Citroen, because they've got that, Suspension setup that's oh, beautiful. Awesome that hung it's beautiful. onto that. It's beautiful oh, as a brand ride. standard. Hey, honestly, because yeah. it's got that. That engine is so responsive. The the cabin is quite spacious. It's got a decent amount of um, boot space. I just was. I was like, why? Why are you not on in more driveways? Like because just, no one knows. Fan. There's no one knows the Citroen brand is is really existing. Sadly, yeah. What color and was think, yours, Tim? that weird burnt orange yeah they're situation. all that orange and i reckon that undersells it I, re- I think i think they should just come straight out and call it weird burnt orange so you tick that box um on the option page that'd be good it had me ticking yeah. it I but everyone's it's already honest. had a go at burnt orange like two generations worth of it you know holden's oh. done it volvo's done it everyone's still Ford's doing it done Ranger. it yeah but I, exactly i think so to your considering give us a pastel or something you know yeah. To your point, uh, Tim, I reckon even though they're now part of the Stellantis conglomerate, you know, they're obviously twinned Peugeot and Citroën and and they do so well with those small capacity engines. They've made it their business to make those engines drivable while they're economical. uh, And the transmission. Yeah. Like that's been a gun ever since it first appeared in the 308. Mm. Mm. Renault needs to learn a few lessons from uh, its French siblings, I would say. Proving it can be done. You're right. Okay. Very good. Okay, that's a cracker. Thank you. Mel, 
the wheel has spun back around to you. What is your next one, please? Another one that comes up often in this podcast. Were you waiting sure. for a drum roll then? You were. <laughs> Maybe if, if Matt Pritchard can find that effect, great. <laughs> I was filling my lungs with oxygen before I <laughs> unfurl. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, in a nutshell, uh, or anyway, whatever shell, uh, Skoda Kodiak. Ah, there which, you go. Which, you know, like there's a few of these sort of um, segment splitting seven seaters around. Yeah. That's very easy to overlook. You know, it's not a midsize. It's not a proper large. But, I mean, I lived with one for three months, I think it was. And, like, still relatively compact outside, but a really usable interior. Yeah. Really great boot space. You know, anything that grows from golf tends to have uh, really good packaging because yes. you know that it's, it's all just bonuses as soon as it gets bigger um but also really clever details you know skoda's famous for the little rubbish bin in the door but umbrellas in the mm. doors as well mm. you know like a rolls royce um mm. you know mine had um uh, like device holders in the back of the 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 seats yeah um you know which you can put anything from an ipad to a well, phone i was gonna say what kind of device mel uh, but yes i presume it's some kind of multimedia device there you go. Uh, really, really clever thing. And, you know, for anyone who needs occasional use seven seats but is daunted by a large vehicle or yep. is wanting to avoid, you know, perpetrating, you know, environmental crimes by trying something, driving something giant, yes. uh, it's, a, it's a very clever, clever car. I reckon you make a good point. It's, it's that word occasional. I mm. think people need to be quite pragmatic and realistic when they buy a seven-seater because typically that will be occasional seating. So why go to a massive vehicle to get seven seats when you know that you're only going to use them once in a while and probably for kids, you know? And, yeah, no matter how big the car is, the only people willing to or keen to go all the way back there, climb over the second row, tends to be kids. And they love it. It's their little little world, you know? Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Mm. All right, well, that's a beauty. Now, Ooh, can I just chuck in? Oh, yeah, I yeah, need to mention it. though. However, with the uh, should point out though that with the uh, the current model, you need to spend Kodiak RS money, which is still no small sum, to get right. blind spot monitoring and recross traffic alert standard. Okay. Otherwise, it's optional. Okay. Um, but something to be mindful of because that uh, should be standard for the price. Very good. Okay. Good to call that out. Now I am going to go with. Here we are back at number six. Uh, Merck GLB. Oh. Merck GLB, oh. right? Because from, from Mercedes-Benz's point of view, it seems to be all about the GLA and the GLC, and B is the forgotten letter in the Mercedes-Benz SUV alphabet. Um, I, for one, love the way it looks. I quite like that upright stance. It's it, to me, feels assertive. Um, the cool nose and tail treatment, um, it's seven-seater. Um, you know, the second row moves fore and aft. 565-litre boot, um, lots of screens, the flexibility. It's 64 to 78K is the spread across various models. And if you want to get your, you know, GLB 35 uh, formatic, that's a bit under 100K. But I like the GLB and I feel like it's just a forgotten offering. Another really good example of compact exterior dimensions, clever interior. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you have my heart now, JC. (laughs) I love this thing. It's a great car. Yeah, yep, I agree. And it's I drove the the 250 and I thought that was a really just such a sweet little car. Well, the 250, I as I understand it, I was getting a little bit confused, but I think it's the two-litre turbo petrol. 
Um, and a front wheel drive or all wheel drive. No, all wheel drive. All wheel drive. Yeah. Uh, maybe sure you can get both. And, and, yeah. But the 200 is a 1.3 litre turbo petrol. So it's got to be a triple, the, yeah. right? Yeah, that's mm. the Renault sourced engine, which okay. is like the A class, which, which yeah. hasn't got many fans from the A class. Right, uh, right. But okay. if you go the, go the four cylinder, yeah. Um, yeah. Can I just say it really strikes me as a classic Mercedes example of form of function consideration informing right. the form. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of clever thinking mm. helped build the Mercedes brand, and I think it's mm. it's a, it's a it's a nice little acknowledgement of that. I just yeah. love the way it looks too, just on an emotional level. I really, right. really like it. All right. So there we go. We're six down and we've got a few to go. And Tim, we're back to you. Well, I'm going for my final uh, choice is a Korean brand. Um, you might think they're doing very well in the sales. Uh, so how can this be underrated? Well, I'm talking about the other Korean brand and that is Sanyong. And oh. I'm talking about the Corando. Righto. Great. Great. So this is their mid-size offering. So it's in CX-5, RAV4 territory, um, but it's priced from $29,000 drive away and it tops out at 40 grand drive away. Yep. Five-star ANCAP safety. Um, you've got like heated seats across the entire range, 1.5 litre turbo petrol, and there's a diesel for the higher grade ones. It is packed with features and it right. actually drives really well as well. Um, is it class leading? Absolutely not. But it's, it's a good site better than perhaps some of, it's Chinese competitors. I would line up yep. that against or, it. Or yep. older Japanese competitors too. 100%. Right. right. 100%. I would probably but, have that over an X, a current model X-Trail, to be quite honest. It's a, the Corando, it feels like there's some underground club where only members of that club know about Corando and they buy it and they love it and, and there's lots of positive vibe around it, but it's just not a big deal in the broader kind of market. Once again, uh, relative lack of marketing, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, people just don't know that brand, do they? Or they might be mm. like, oh, Sanyong, that was a thing, you know, 20 years ago or something Didn't like they turn that. into Daewoo? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't right. they make right. uh, consumer electronics like TVs and um, yeah. radios and stuff? Oh, no, they make cars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah, that so kind of stuff. How do you very spell? much kind of under the yeah. radar, yes. that vehicle. But look, it's I, I think it's a, it's a really good thing and, and deserves a lot more attention. Perfect, perfect. That's a beauty. All right, Mal, back to you. All right, quick one. Mazda CX-8, another segment splitter. Oh, they Mazda do sell CX-8. pretty well, but yep. I just want to highlight that the base sport, so the petrol front-wheel drive sport with cloth seats, little wheels, but still all the important safety gear, still priced at 39990 and it's right a seven-seater. Yeah, that's good. And I've I've had three child seats across the back seat. It's got uh, all the cabin length of a CX-9. It's mm-hmm. only shorter than a CX-9 in its nose length, which only makes it easy to park. Um, smart car, not an obvious choice. Very good. Okay, love it. Now I'm going to finish off our nine. <laughs> Mini Countryman. Now, what I will say about the Countryman is really? it's, an, it's an acquired it's an acquired taste, but it's good in so many ways. I mean, right now for fifty two k drive away for the Cooper, you can have a Mini Countryman. Um, they're they're pushing the Mini thing as much as you'd want to with this car, you know. But it's cool for those who are into that tightly designed look and feel. I think Mini a few years ago, a good few years ago 
went too far with that little coupe and roadster. It was BMW imposing itself on Mini oh. and saying, we need a million derivatives of this. We mm. need to make everything out of Mini. I think Mini's got a bit more sensible about that um, in mm. more recent times. But I like the customization of Mini in general, the personality of this car. It's a 450 litre boot. All of them get roof rails. You've got various models uh, through base and then S and Cooper S. No, what do you got then? Hybrid and JCW. Um, so it's got a lot to offer. And I think people are not quite polarized, but you're either a mini person or you're not. But I think the, the countryman has quite a lot to offer. Yeah. My only argument against countryman is the, the gray area about its active safety. Like, you right. Know, ANCAP gives it points for um, AEB, but BMW and Mini, sorry, um, are a bit loose around the effectiveness of it, you know, whether it's yep. emergency braking, whether it will stop the car. Uh, actually pull it up to uh, a, a full halt. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a base Master CX3, I think even the base one has rear AEB. Right. Um, anyway, but um, agreed. Yep. Unsung hero. Thing. Yeah. Even though my money would be on a Clubman, but that's not an SUV or the top. Yeah. Of and, you know, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to emotional, I like the original Clubman. The, the first Clubman with the offset doors. Oh, yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed that one. Um, ba- In barn brown. Door, barn door, back doors, all that stuff. Loved it. Yeah. Um, all right. So there's our nine. I can feel people already, you know, uh, grinding their teeth or loving yeah. what we're saying or whatever. But to get to a nice round number, I'm going to propose a 10th. Um, and that is the Passat All Track. Oh, Good one. You know I see what you did there. Okay, so mm. to me, it's like a a well priced all road. You know, you you're getting um, the all wheel drive. You're getting the flexibility of a car that you can take on loose surfaces, some some very light um, off highway kind of duty. Um, if you like the skiing, you can go there without any dramas, and yet it functions as a normal wagon uh, so easily as well. I really like the idea of that car, and I think it's um, pitched at a common sense level um, rather than stepping all the way up to an Audi all road. Surrounded by unpainted plastic, which is great for dirt roads. Yes. Relatively yeah. low centre of gravity compared to a, a full-scale SUV. But I do Agreed. know that when you get cars off the mail, you are prone to painting the plastic. You mentioned that earlier off, here, off air. So if it's unpainted plastic, they sometimes go back to Volkswagen with all of that <laughs> painted. But um, anyway. Yeah, that Passat is such a good thing. Like I, I, mm. I think the Passat range generally is, yes. is fairly underrated. And yeah, yeah, I totally support that choice, 100%. There we go. So there's our top 10 most underrated uh, SUVs. Tell us what you think um, in the comments. You might make comment of the week. You never know. Um, but uh, we will now move on to uh, our own garage and cars that we have been driving recently. And Mal, could I kick off with you, please? It's an American machine. Uh, fill us in. Jeep Compass Trailhawk. Yep. Which... Uh, is a very interesting car in that it is the, as Tim pointed out in his recent review, the sole remaining diesel available in its class. You can only get it as a diesel. Um, so it's pretty pricey at $52,000. Um, and look, the thing is the Compass, when it launched four and a half years ago, wasn't the greatest car. It wasn't a new segment benchmark or anything like that. And even mm-hmm. after last year's facelift, it's still not, yeah. Uh, but very expensive, and right. so the the Trailhawk, uh, the other unique element is that it's kind of, um, you know, 
suitable for off-road you know it's yep. got highway terrain tires a bit of ground clearance it's got um big red recovery points front end rear uh but is that what people want to do with a car in its class? Sure, uh, sure. Or is that what people choose a Forester for? Sure. Uh, I'm not sure. But as as Tim pointed out in his review, the, it looks good, has everything right on paper, good packaging, et cetera. But crikey, it's expensive and it, it feels old, mm. unfortunately. Mm. And I, I drove it home yesterday in the rain and I haven't run a fuel figure yet, but I know Tim, uh, I think you got an 11.2 test figure, which which is a lot for any car of that size, regardless of whether it's petrol or diesel. So, mm, you know, mm. you think a diesel would be impressive. Yeah. Um, and the official figure is 6.9. So anyway, questionable. It's quite clattery for a diesel. Okay. Uh, it strikes me as an old design. Um, but also those highway terrain tyres in the wet, I found them to be lacking. Right. right. Maybe great okay. for climbing hills, uh, but I found them to be lacking. And uh, it really says to me that... Uh, Jeep really needs to refresh its its mainstream model lineup. You know, we're about to see Grand Cherokee finally in Australia uh, next month. Uh, we know it's pretty pricey, but I really hope it can justify that price. Interesting. Do you know, whenever I hear the word or the description Trailhawk, I think of our uh, mutual uh, acquaintance, Tim Keane, who once edited Top Gear Australia magazine. The best caption he ever came up with was of a Trailhawk. He said, a Jeep. It was a caption of a picture. He goes, a Jeep. On a trail, missing a hawk. <laughs> I just thought it was brilliant. Okay. Now, uh, thank you very much, Mel. Pleasure. Tim, we'll move on to you. What's been occupying uh, your mind uh, for the last week or so? So the last few days I've been behind the wheel of, uh, speaking of uh, Mel's Mazda chat earlier, this is the freshly updated CX-5 medium SUV. And the grade that I've been in is the Akira. And it's the, so it's a yep. turbocharged petrol all-wheel drive. So it's the flagship of the range. I think it's the most expensive, oh, sorry, the diesel Akira uh, all-wheel drive is a few hundred more. Okay. But um, it, it's 53 grand before on-road costs, which is a decent amount of money for a CX-5, but, you know, it, it's very well kitted out. And and the, the updates brought some pretty subtle styling changes, uh, but I actually think they work quite well. Like the headlights and the taillights, they've kind of squared off those, and I think that looks really good. Um, but the body paint on the cladding below is a bit controversial. I don't know what you guys think of that. Oh, Mal. Mal just takes matters into his own hands and breaks out the paintbrush. Honestly, honestly. Yeah. Or the opposite. Oh, right. And you're the paint stripper. And take <laughs> anyway, it, take this it is away. not about me. This is oh, sorry. <laughs> no, look, it's such a good thing. Like, you know, this current CX-5 has been around for a few years now. There's newer competition. But um, again, I haven't spent an insane amount of time behind the wheel. But the time that I have, I just forgot how good it is. It's really yeah. quiet. It's so yeah. That engine is so responsive. And the clever just engine, isn't it? Smooth delivery. That transmission, like, mm. I could not fault that drivetrain in any way, shape, or form. The ride is good, despite the wheels. And just to remind everyone, it's basically putting the CX-9 engine in the CX-5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, that's right. you know, like a big, comfortable, talky thing that just delivers its power in but a relaxed the, fashion. The other thing is... In a smaller package. From a, from a um, you know, reputational point of view, um, CX-5 is almost RAV4-like in the sense that it has such respect in the market. People just roll into another one because they've had such a good experience with the car before the, and the whole Mazda experience is a positive one for them. It's got um, mm. so much momentum in that way yeah. uh, as well. well. 
Totally. And even size-wise, you know, it's not one of the biggest medium SUVs out there. For me, I think it's a perfect size. Parking, it is great. You know, in a few months, we're going to see the CX-60, which will sit a little bit above that as Mazda's first real premium offering. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see if that has any impact on CX-5 sales, but bloody good car. Uh, So many tears. So much slicing and dicing. Can I just ask, Tim, what colour is your CX-5? Well, you'll be shocked to know, Mel, that it is uh, soul red crystal. Ah, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> yes. All right. Know, Doesn't offend me, but answer. but the uh, reason why I ask is they're getting a bit adventurous in their colours. And I saw one yesterday in the new kind of metallic coffee colour. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. They're mm. also doing that weird burnt orange as well, which is, uh, I don't know how many people are going for it. Sorry, mm. that was a joke that fell massively oh, God, flat. God, okay. <laughs> now, that's a citron colour. Has Mazda now, done that? Can I, uh, sure finish, have. can I finish this off? I'll, I'll, before shutting the garage door, I'll just sneak this one in. The Skoda Kodiak Sportline. So there we go, Mel. Um, uh-huh. one, of your, one of your nominees. So this one, it's a bit over $54,000. Um, two litre four cylinder turbo, seven speed dual clutch, 132 kilowatts, 320 newton metres. All-wheel drive. Um, the pluses for me, it's seven seat. It's it's got the seven seats in a relatively compact package, and as you mentioned earlier, it's classic Skoda helpful common sense design. You've got those little scuff protectors that come out from the front doors. Um, that's genius. Um, a couple of glove boxes. The umbrella was missing from my test car. Someone obviously in all the wet weather in Sydney had decided that they just wanted to keep that and use it. I was very annoyed. But it's it's comfortable, uh, super well equipped screens. This car I thought looked great because you get the sport line kind of black graphics, and the car itself was magic black pearl um, in terms of its color, and it looked great. This um, synthetic suede material with leather on the seats as well, twenty inch rims. It really has presence um, visually. Um, the thing I found from a, on the negative side was in normal mode, it tends to bog down. Just in the standard drive mode, you put your foot on the accelerator and you want it to go and it sort of has, thinks about it for half a beat or maybe even longer and it's frustrating. In the sport mode, it's not so much. It, it gets revved up a little quicker. Um, there is the RS if you want even more grunt, but I noticed that on several occasions. And uh, you just grab sport mode just by pulling the, the transmission lever down to S? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a do. great Volkswagen group trick. So brings them to life, and it? I found that in the you mentioned that that the balance between normal and sport these days is much better than it was maybe five to ten years ago. It was sport was quite aggressive and normal was very passive and, and economy focused. They've blended those a little better now. But anyway, I just found that the car would would hesitate before it picked up the, mm. the throttle and went. I think it's an impressive family option, but it's got tough competition. You know, you think about Tiguan Allspace, but it it's high quality and a thoughtful kind of in very much in line with the Skoda ethos. It's a, it's a well thought out option as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And there are a few more in that class, you know, Outlander has seven seat option. Yep. uh, X trail. And we're about to get a new X trail. Yep. Uh, But it's only a smidge smaller than Santa Fe and Sorrento in reality. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it was an interesting drive. I was, I was pretty impressed with it. Okay. Now talking about whether people are impressed or not, It's time for comment of the week. And comment of the week is sitting on top of the shipping container at the front of the car's guide forecourt. There's bunting, balloons. Here it comes. So we had Gerard 2 give us a rating um, for the podcast, a five stars. Um, So 
what he said was, this podcast is lighthearted, yet I still learn something each time I listen. They have really interesting and real-life topics, don't take themselves too seriously, and have fun. A great listen each week. So I think that's actually Crafty's mum. So thank you, Mrs. Craft. You can always uh, ma- count on her. Masquerading as uh, Gerard too. Uh, but that was an Apple Podcasts uh, review, which I thought was worth giving ourselves a bit of a pat on the back with. And look, with that, we have reached the finish line. So I want to say thank you, Tim. Thank you, JC. And thank you, Mel. You're welcome, James. And, and thanks thank to it. And thanks to our production practitioner, Dark Sky Defender and Duck Master, Mr. Pritchard, for his dedication to podcast craft skills. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, duct tape can't fix stupid, but it can muffle the sound. Laser pants and Chewbacca boots. Nothing like a pair of Wookiees on your feet. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars is the preferred number. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, made a bet with my neighbour that he couldn't get his car out of the garage within two minutes. As soon as we shook hands, you could see the regret spreading across his face. We both knew there was no way he could back out of it.